Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's first New Testament reading is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's second New Testament reading comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say that to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the book, The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams, there's this lovely exchange between the rabbit and the skin horse. What is real? asked the rabbit one day. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you in a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you are made, replied the skin horse. 
It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up? He asked, or is it bit by bit? It it does not happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. This is why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. As Christians, as the ones who follow Jesus, we are on a path a journey to becoming real. In response to God's love, a love expressed to us, a love for us, we commit to not settling in. Instead, we commit to pushing forward by letting God get to work on us as we make our way along the path. We are people who let God challenge us, push us, change us, shape us, In response to God's claim on our lives, we seek, we are open to growing and learning and even changing. As Christians, we are in the transformation business. And this is hard work that can take some time, but it's the work to which we are called, the work required by love. We are a people who, as Paul writes, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. We are not conformed to this world, to this age, to this time. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. A couple of years ago, my wife recommended to me the podcast series called Seeing White, produced by the Duke University Center for Documentary Studies. The producer and host, John Bewin, explains the premise of the series Seeing White in this way. He writes, The race beat in American journalism usually involves pointing our gaze and our cameras and our microphones at people of color. That goes for me too. I've told the stories of black folks, Latinos, Native Americans, but like like most American reporters, I've usually left white people as a group unnamed. In seeing white, we are turning the lens around, looking at this notion of whiteness itself. Where did this idea come from? God? Nature? Or is it man-made? And if someone manufactured the idea, why? For, for what purpose? How has the meaning of white changed over the centuries, and how does it function now? Bayline concludes his opening with this question. 
the stories that we carry around about whiteness and what it means, stories we may not even know we're carrying, but we are, all of us, are those stories true? These are, these are difficult, heavy questions, but they are timely questions, of course, with all the issues of race before us today, always, both in the national and local conversation. And they are questions that if asked, if wrestled with, will challenge us, push us, and probably change us, which is why they are questions that as Christians on the path to becoming real, we need to ask, especially now in this moment we find ourselves in. As people with diverse political perspectives and personal narratives, we are likely never going to come to consensus on the monuments or the specifics of social policy or even the narrative of our nation's history. But it is my strong conviction that we all must agree that as Christians, we are a people committed to growing, growing in our capacity, growing in our faith, our mercy, and our love. We are a people who are willing, who are eager even, to be transformed, to be changed by the renewing of our minds. And for people like you and me, the most challenging part of this kind of work just might be the humility it requires. I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul knew this would be the case when he wrote this epistle to the church in Rome, he likely knew that some of those who heard this command to be transformed by the renewing of their minds would have a hard time accepting the idea that their minds, their thoughts, their perspectives needed to be changed or transformed at all. I'm sure they were thankful for Christ's mercy and his love and for this new community of believers of which they were now a part, but if my experience in the church has taught me anything, most of us are not looking for radical change or transformation, which is likely why Paul follows his appeal for a life defined by transformation, by renewal. He follows that command right up with a call to radical humility. For the grace given to me, he says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For just as one body has many members, we all have different gifts, and I would add different perspectives, different insights that need to be heard. And no group has a more difficult time hearing and digesting and integrating the thoughts, insights, and perspectives of other people than those who don't really want or need for things to change. Several years ago, if you were to wander into the New York City Jazz Club, the Village Vanguard, on a weekday evening, you might have been treated to a trumpet solo by Wynton Marsalis. One particular Tuesday night, Marsalis, exalted in the jazz universe, was part of a small combo offering up a series of bebop classics. The set started off in an unremarkable way, but then Marsalis stepped to the microphone to offer a solo called, I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. It was a sad song, full of murmurs and sighs, 
and Marsalis performed it with deep feeling and expression. At the song's climax, he played the final phrase in such a way that it seemed his trumpet gave voice, actual words, to the phrase, I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. The audience sat in awe, listening in stunned silence. Then it happened. In the middle of that sacred silence, at the song's most dramatic moment, someone's cell phone started ringing with an annoying sing-song electronic melody. You know the one I'm talking about. In an instant, the spell was broken. Marsalis paused for a beat and stood motionless. His eyebrows arched. The embarrassed cell phone owner fled the scene and the conversation in the club grew louder and louder. Marsalis could have stepped down at that moment and quit the gig, disgusted, annoyed. He had every right to, but instead he did not move. Instead, he put his lips to his trumpet and replayed the cell phone melody note for note. Then he played it again. It began improvising variations on the tune. The people in the audience stopped talking and slowly began to listen. Marsalis changed keys once or twice and then seamlessly eased back into a ballad tempo. And in just a few minutes, he had managed to integrate that chirpy, annoying cell phone ring with, I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. As Christians, our primary work is soul work, the work of self-reflection, the work of repentance, the work of integration, the work of transformation. And as Paul knew, self-reflection, repentance, integration, and transformation all require humility, the willingness to listen and learn from parts of the body that are often silenced or ignored. This is what the Beatitudes we heard this morning remind us of, God's blessings come to those who know poverty of spirit, who know what it is to mourn, to be meek, to be hungry, to be merciful, to work for peace, and to be persecuted. The Beatitudes lift up people who have been vulnerable and humble, people who've had their set disrupted, rather than those who've had their perspectives and preferences confirmed. Now, as Christians, our primary work is soul work the work of self-reflection, the work of repentance, the work of integration, the work of transformation. In Durham, North Carolina, a group of citizens gathered together to work, to work to improve the public schools in the midst of desegregation. The co-chairs of this group were C.P. Ellis and Ann Atwater. Two names none of us likely recognize, but people in that town sure did, because Anne was a black woman at the forefront of the civil rights movement, and CP was a white man and the local head of the Ku Klux Klan. Despite her health problems, poverty, and life as a single mother, Anne Atwater was one of the strongest voices in the fight for equality in Durham. She was one tough woman. C.P. Ellis, he, he lived in a shack just north of the tracks that separated poor white Durham from poor black Durham. He was just another mill worker until he found the Klan. 
where he was important and he could fight for something too. When they first called Anne to ask her to work with CP, she quickly said, I won't work with that nut, and slammed down the phone. Anne felt a mixture of rage and terror at the very mention of CP's name. But that night, Anne couldn't sleep. She rocked on the porch, and something she still doesn't understand came over her. The next morning, in spite of her hatred and her fear, she changed her mind, and she agreed to work with CP. Let's be clear, it wasn't easy for CP to work with Anne either. After he agreed to co-chair the committee with her, he too got death threats, a lot of them, and his kids got beaten up on the playground. Still, the two together persevered. They changed the schools and eventually the city. One night after a really difficult conversation, CP looked at Anne and realized that the worry lines on her face came from many of the same things that put the worry lines on his face. And CP began to cry. And there sat the head of the Ku Klux Klan in, Durham's, in Durham with Durham's most militant black leader, hand in hand, weeping, because they were finally able to see each other, not as one-dimensional objects to be hated or feared, but as full members of the same body. In the end, it turns out, both Anne and CP were ostracized from the very communities they loved and helped. In the years after leaving the Klan and joining the Civil Rights Movement, CP felt particularly vulnerable and alone. Looking back on this stage of his life, he observed what an awful thing the truth is and how comforting a lie. I have no idea where we will end up when the dust settles on this particular moment in history, but my guess is that some real gains will be made and some important victories won. I'm also guessing there will be some failures and a few decisions we come to regret. I don't know where we're gonna end up when the dust settles on this particular moment in history. But I do know that in this moment, we have an opportunity, a rare opportunity to be transformed and changed if we are open and honest and humble. In the wave of protest that is sweeping our nation, we have a unique opportunity to grow in our capacity to better discern God's will if we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, if we are willing to let awful truths work on us, if we are willing to stay on the path to real. Part of the body of Christ is speaking, and we who are many are one body in Christ. So I implore you, brothers and sisters, listen. Listen to the cries of the protesters, Seek to truly understand their anger and their sadness. Be open to learning something new from them, from integ to integrating some of their thoughts and ideas into your own. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds.
in the months to come, there will be more protests, more pronouncements, more proclamations, more letters to the editor about the monuments, and more controversial decisions made by our local and state lawmakers. And as those who have committed to growing in our capacity to love, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Stay on the path to real. Turn the camera inward. Have the courage to sit with awful truths. For we worship a God of transformation, whose will, whose desire is that all, that all would know and experience and internalize a love that knows no end. Amen.